Hello and welcome to The Intersection. I'm Mark Riley. We appreciate you joining us. Busy episode ahead. Last week, Fox News settled with Dominion Voting Systems for $787.5 million. This was just as the $1.6 billion lawsuit was set to get underway. What does it mean for Fox? Dominion Voting Systems, who brought the suit, Smartmatic, who still has a lawsuit, and journalism in general. Two knocks on the wrong doors, metaphorically. Two people shot, one dead. Is this really stand your ground? War is ravaging Sudan. As old allies turn on each other around the world, various countries are angling for advantage as the fighting continues in Africa's third largest country by area. The U.S. Supreme Court has allowed Mifepristone, the abortion pill, to stay on the market while they consider whether to ban or restrict it. Guess who voted against it and voted against keeping it available? How exactly does a 21-year-old Air National Guardsman procure and leak sensitive information about the war in Ukraine and more? And finally, what do older people think about Joe Biden's age? Off we go. Can there be any doubt about who turned out the winner in the lawsuit between Dominion Voting Systems and Fox News? After all, paying out $787.5 million for essentially letting people come on the air and lie about the 2020 election and Dominion's role in it is a stiff penalty. Yet some people, myself included, wonder just how much of a victory this really is. Will it stop media, Fox included, from broadcasting lies and half-truths in the future? I gotta be honest, I don't think so. Although Fox may have the deepest pockets, remember that Dominion has lawsuits pending against, among others, Smartmatic for more money than actually they sued Dominion, uh, they sued Fox for, Mike Lindell, the MyPillow guy, and Newsmax. Lindell, by the way, just lost an arbitration that makes him pay $5 million to a Trump-supporting computer geek who proved his election fraud claims false. Couldn't happen to a nicer guy. Dominion said it lost $600 million due to misinformation about the 2020 election. That's $600 million in lost business. So let's talk money for a moment. Emails and other communications exposed a political culture at Fox that prioritized profits over truth and actual journalism. To be frank, I saw this coming as the lines between news and opinion became blurred. When the late talk show host Rush Limbaugh began calling himself America's most trusted anchorman, I started feeling the rules of the game had changed. Can you imagine a bloviator? saying that he was an anchorman. That's just what Limbaugh did, and he got away with it. And other, I mean, there are other people who different segments of the population look to for news and information. I mean, we're at a point where TikTok provides news and information for a segment of the population. But TikTok, Jon Stewart, and others don't necessarily call themselves anchor people. They never did. Neither does Stephen Colbert, neither do any of these folks who purport to entertain. They do inform to an extent, 
but they are not journalists. They don't call themselves journalists. Anchormen, or anchor, anchor people, I should say, do call themselves journalists. And I've seen this coming for a long, long time. Fox, as I said in the previous episode, worried that honest journalism would lose them viewers. That's why they perpetuated the 2020 lie, even though some of the staff and hosts at the network knew better and said so. Keep in mind, there are a rash of other lawsuits against both Fox and other media outlets that promoted that lie. It'll be interesting to see how those turn out given Fox's obvious capitulation. And don't cry any tears for them, by the way, on the financial front. It can pay the settlement. They're paying 787.5. Fox Corporation, the parent of Fox News, netted $1.23 billion in income for the past financial year. Shifting gears a bit, what would possess two people, hundreds of miles apart, to shoot people who accidentally ventured onto their property? In upstate Fort Edward, New York, 20-year-old Kaylin Gillis was shot and killed by a guy named Kevin Monahan after she and some friends mistakenly drove in his driveway. He was denied bail last week. In Liberty, Missouri, on the other hand, 84-year-old Andrew Lester pleaded not guilty to shooting 16-year-old Ralph Yarl. His sin? Knocking at Lester's door by mistake. He was trying to pick up some siblings. He, thank God, lived. Then there's Elgin, Texas, where two teenage cheerleaders were shot after trying to get into the wrong car in a supermarket parking lot. Really, is this what the country is coming to? Shooting young people for making a mistake? In Lester's case, if he was so afraid of strangers, why did he shoot through a glass door? Why not simply call the police? Monahan feels bad he killed a young girl, with a shotgun that is, to ward off people driving down his driveway? He killed a kid over that? A lot of this can be laid at the feet of the stand your ground laws that have been passed into law in 30 states, including Missouri. New York doesn't have such a law, but there's something called the Castle Doctrine that's rooted in the idea that a man's home is, in fact, his castle. In other words, shooting somebody when you claim self-defense can be found to be valid. I've had a problem with Stand Your Ground going back to Trayvon Martin. That was in 2013, for those who may have forgotten, a decade ago. In the case of Andrew Lester, there's also a hint of racism. His own grandson told media he thought there was a bit of prejudice in his grandpa. There are reports that his age and the fact that he lived alone may have contributed to his decision to shoot Ralph Yarl. Yet in both these cases, you have to ask, why were either of these men allowed to have guns in the first place? I could go on forever about the nation's gun culture, and I have in the past. And that clear history of the culture trumping human life. More examples of it here. I've said before, I don't expect this to change in my lifetime. It will take people who haven't even been born yet to make America finally see sense. 
Up next, war is ravaging Sudan, the third largest country in Africa by area as two former allies turned rivals. But what's in it for the rest of the world? This is The Intersection. It's springtime and you're listening to Mark Riley, the intersection of politics and culture. Welcome back to The Intersection. A lot of Americans, I wager, don't give a second thought or haven't given a second thought to Sudan until very, very recently. Now that war has broken out between former allies, Lieutenant General Mohammed Hamdan, leader of the paramilitaries, and General Abdul Fattah al-Burhan, who controls the regular military forces, maybe some people are kind of starting to pay attention. Nations both near and far are scrambling to support one side or another. Sudan, you see, aside from being the third largest country on the continent of Africa by area, is also mineral rich and has a thriving agricultural sector. Located near both the Red Sea and the Nile River, Sudan is also of strategic military importance in the region as well. Egypt, close neighbor, has chosen to side with General al-Burhan, Burhan that is, while the United Arab Emirates, another major player in the region, is backing General Hamdan. And of course, looming over the entire crisis are Russia, China, and the United States, all of whom have an interest, both strategic and economic, in the region. This is hardly what student protesters hoped would happen when they were the linchpins of toppling a dictatorial regime of 30 years back in 2019. My guess is now they're being asked to choose sides between two military people when all they wanted was civilian rule for a change. This week's death toll in Sudan stands somewhere around 400. My guess is that few, if any, are as wealthy as the two military combatants, both of whom, by the way, are in fact wealthy. Both have gotten money from countries eager to curry favor with one side or the other. And you know, sometimes in these kinds of situations, the wealthy will actually back both sides. Some countries will actually back both sides, one side publicly, the other side behind closed doors. Now, one way that they do that is by providing weapons to the warring factions. And all the while, the blood of civilians and military alike is splattered on the streets of the capital, Khartoum. It likely won't end until one side or the other wins. And what is the sworn enemy of the military, no matter which side you're talking about here? Democracy. Speaking of things military, has anyone figured out yet how a 21-year-old Air National Guardsman managed to not only procure reams of sensitive classified documents, but circulate them widely on social media? The guy in question, Jack Teixeira, was part of a small group of people who apparently enjoyed gaming, guns, and racist memes, racist and anti-Semitic, I might add, memes online. The government says most of the material they procured and disseminated is legit, and the security concerns center 
around Russia and Ukraine. The dumps also include sensitive briefings on Canada, China, South Korea, and Israel. What's fascinating and troubling about this is until now, little is known about how this guy got the materials in the first place. The media is kind of talking about, well, he somehow managed to get it. I, what do, you, do they think he was born with the stuff? Or do you think he stole it out of a secure location? How did he get the stuff? That we don't know. He is under arrest. So eventually, I assume, maybe they'll find out. Again, this is a 21-year-old military man. Airman, by the way. Not general, not colonel, airman. It's not quite clear what Teixeira's purpose was in finding and leaking all these documents and briefings. What it seems to indicate is that America's intelligence community has a lot to answer for. Again, this was a small cadre of young people led by the airmen from Massachusetts that managed to grab a hold of secret documents and briefings, the contents of which has infuriated some of the nation's closest allies, especially the South Koreans. They tried to act as though it was no big deal, but trust me, the South Koreans are upset. So are the Israelis. We won't know anything about it because most of that anger will be delivered back channel. But trust me, they're angry. Now, are there other small groups of young people that the intelligence community knows little or nothing about who have access to the country's secrets? We'll see. Up next, the Supreme Court allows the abortion pill Mifepristone to remain accessible while it makes up its mind about whether to ban it. And we talked a few episodes ago about whether or not President Joe Biden is too old to run for a second term. Now the New York Times has talked to older Americans about that very question. This is The Intersection. Join the conversation at Mark Riley Media on Facebook. Welcome back to The Intersection. The Supreme Court last week allowed for the status quo regarding the abortion pill Mifepristone. That followed an intense back and forth among several courts about whether the Food and Drug Administration, the FDA, approved drug. Remember, the FDA approved it 20 years ago, and now they're arguing about whether or not it should be banned. The High Court essentially kicked the issue back to the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals. It was a short one-paragraph ruling. Two justices dissented, and they dissented publicly. Any guess about who? Clarence Thomas and Samuel Alito. And by the way, Thomas, uh, this is a weird thing with him because it's something he's been doing since he was appointed to the court. He dissented publicly but said nothing. Nothing. Didn't write anything, didn't say anything, nothing. If the Supreme Court thought they were out of the game after gutting Roe v. Wade, they were obviously wrong. The ruling is sure to anger anti-abortion groups whose purpose is to ban abortion under just about any circumstances. I've said that before. I'll say it again. There are groups, including the one that ended up filing this lawsuit in the first place. 
They want to get rid of a woman's right to choose, period, end. It also points out just how fragile a woman's right to choose has become. Alliance Defending Freedom, which brought the lawsuit that created all this chaos, is going tooth and nail after the FDA saying the agency, quote, must answer for the damage it has caused to the health of countless women and girls, end quote. They don't appear to have produced any evidence of this damage, but like voter fraud, you don't need to prove it to make some people believe it. The ruling is a victory for the Biden administration, which vowed to fight to make Mifepristone available and back the FDA. The ramifications of a ban on this drug would be massive and not just for women seeking to terminate a pregnancy. A raft of other drugs approved by the FDA could come under attack from groups wanting to regulate it or even ban their use. The battle is now joined. Who will win? I wish I knew. And while we're talking about the president, is he too old to run for a second term? We talked about this a few episodes back. The New York Times, in its infinite wisdom, did an interesting piece recently about this question the other day. They talked to older Americans about whether Joe Biden was too old. It should come as no surprise that the results were mixed. Keep in mind, the people queried among are among, that is, Joe Biden's strongest supporters, what the Times called left-leaning older Americans. I, you know, just while we're on the subject, as long as we mention it, uh, I don't know what left-leaning actually means. You know, uh, it, I don't know that people even talk about right-leaning, but there's always this, like, left-leaning or leftist, or, and it's usually is produced as an epithet against the people who are targeted as being left-leaning or leftist. And by the way, I don't know that the Times interviewed too many out-and-out leftists, only left-leaning leftists. They didn't interview that many, but while most liked Joe Biden, some were nervous about whether he'd still be up to the job at the age of 86, which would be when his second term ends. Some people worry that he hasn't looked all that steady on his feet of late. You know, Biden has always been gaff prone, but there are some who are saying, you know, th this is kind of sort of becoming a real problem. I think Biden, and it's just my opinion, I think Biden on balance has been a good president. He's certainly been a tonic for his predecessor. I also thought and said in previous episodes that he would take his cue about running from his wife, Dr. Jill Biden. In other words, if she said don't do it, he wouldn't do it. I still think if she told him not to run, he'd heed her advice. Now it looks like he may announce for a second term sometime this week. No matter who his opponent is, he'll have to bring his A game to the campaign trail. If he does run again, I pray he wins. Thanks so much for listening to The Intersection. The executive producer is Tim Jack Riley, and music is by Tevin Thomas. Until next time, please be well.